Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, I feel like uh, for a long time we've always been like, you know, is it time for RFID? Is RFID here? Yes. Is it the RFID year? <laughs> so is I, it the year I of RFID? I feel like we've established the last couple of years that, yes, it's here. It is. It's already here. It is. And it's it's here to stay. Yes, for sure. I mean, barring some insane new technology that we're just not I don't think that's happening. For. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also established that, you know, it, it fits in alongside barcoding these days. Oh, yes. It's not a, you know, complimentary. one or the other. It's That's complimentary, right. yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, maybe that question now is, for mm. some of our VARs and some of our partners out there, is is this really right for me, though? Like, oh, I see. You know, maybe I've been an AIDC reseller yeah. for a while, and I'm yep. all into, you know, the... Uh, the uh-huh. barcoding stuff, you know, and like mm-hmm. I figured that out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready for RFID. I don't know if I want to dip into this yet. I'm not sure. It's a good where question, right? You hear all this chatter about how it's growing yeah. and you know becoming ubiquitous in all these retail establishments and stuff like that. You know, exactly. Yeah, should I join? But we know sometimes, yeah, folks can be a little hesitant. Yeah, this isn't an emerging technology anymore at this point, but right. still, maybe not one that you're ready to fold into yeah. your yeah, 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 yeah. particular portfolio. We're going to convince yet. people otherwise. Today? I, that's, that's the plan. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Or at least gives you the pros and cons. <laughs> You understand yeah. why you would, wouldn't, you know, and, and what's at stake for you there. Fair so, enough. Uh, we have Chris Brown joining us today from TSC Oh, good, because I wasn't going to go through that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have an actual expert to yes. talk about that about it. Uh, he's going to tell us. He's going to help us explain that. You know, where where is RFID growing? What should mm. these folks do? Is there a reason to make that leap right now? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some of the labeling mandates the top retailers have yep. out there and where that fits in. Because yep. if you need a good reason to do it, you know, if you want to work with some of these pretty big good dogs, ones. that's yep. that's mm-hmm. a pretty good reason. And then we're going to talk about some industry and use cases, you know, that are really starting to dive into RFID, mm. where he thinks there might be opportunities All to right. grow and expand. And I like that. If you yeah. are getting into RFID to figure out, like, where should I go? Where should I be aiming at? Nice. Uh, and then, you know, he'll tell us a little bit about how TSC helps out there and makes things easier for anybody that wants to do an RFID plan. I'm looking forward to this one. I am too. Good stuff. All right. All that plus value of the VAR. What's tech connecting with us? It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Chris Brown. He is the RFID program director for TSC Printronics. I mean, mm-hmm. he is the man. Yes. When it comes to RFID, twenty I'll, years I'll experience. This, I think. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll mention this more at the end of the show. But like, we've done a couple webinars yeah. with TSC about RFID stuff. Mm-hmm. Chris usually does a lot of those, mm. and when he does, they're always highly professional. Yeah. They are very well rehearsed, very well educated, mm-hmm. very well, very informative. Beyond probably what he's even going to get into today, there's mm. plenty more good stuff there. Mm. So I'll recommend checking those out also. And I. But again, my point is, I know we got an expert. So, Chris, <laughs> tell us a little about your background. How, you know, how, how did you come into the world of RFID and become this expert program director that TSC leans on all the time? Okay. Well, thank you guys for the introduction. Um, so, I've been in barcoding for 28 years, um, but specifically in our world, when I say our, I mean TSCs and Blue Stars. I've been in our world for 26 years. Um, most of that time was focused on barcoding, uh, but the last six years exclusively RFID. Uh, how did I get into this accident? Like almost all of us in our industry, looking for a job, we found a job, looked okay, 
we took it and here we are 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. And hence uh, a recent winner of the of an AIM award, correct? Uh for yeah, back in just last year. Yep. Well, that was AIM was 2021 I Oh, think. 2021. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then there was a an, a rain award ah, last year. Oh, nice. There it is. There it is. Yeah. So an award-winning member yeah, of the ecosystem. Yeah. I think yes. when he says it, it's got a little more cloud than we say oh, we're, we're yes, award-winning. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think his, his award-winning has brought a little more value, I yes, think, probably, yes, than, than yes, we have. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, then, Chris, let's talk about this, this idea of, you know, is, is RFID right for a reseller? Maybe someone, and, and I think it's great, obviously, that you have the background where you spend a lot of time on the barcoding mm, side mm-hmm. and have then made that shift over to RFID because maybe you understand, like, hey, you know, here's yeah. the value of one versus the other. You know both of them clearly. So let's say you do have a traditional AIDC reseller. It's, you know, they're very focused on barcode products. It's what they know. They've been at it for 20-odd mm-hmm, mm-hmm. years. They're like, yeah, this is what we do. But, you know, they know by now, again, that this this conversation is growing. RFID is growing. It's not going away. It's becoming a nice complementary type of asset inventory tracking solution for, you know, for a lot of businesses. So what should they do? You know, what if, if someone's looking at this and thinking it's it's happening, I know it's happening. Do I dive in? What are the options to take on RFID solutions at this point? Help them figure out like where the where the starting point might be. Okay. Um, yeah, so I didn't mention that experience in our in our industry to say that I'm a cool cat. The reason I mentioned it is because it means that I know our industry, our I know our channel, I know Blue Star. Um, I know what I call the traditional barcode VAR. And now from the RFID perspective, I think that this traditional barcode VAR has to make a clear conscious choice about how they're going to approach RFID. Um, There are different options what the barcode VAR could do. Uh, One option would just be to tell your customers, nope, I don't deal with RFID. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. I've been doing barcoding for 40 years. It puts bread on my table. I'm getting close to retirement. No, I'll stay away. The problem with that option is that if you're not going to do the RFID and your end user customers or your prospects want RFID, they're going to end up going to somebody else for the RFID. As soon as they go to somebody else, that opens the door for that somebody else to take their barcoding business as well. So I would stay away from that option. Um, Another option, and we see this one happening, is our traditional barcode VAR says, geez, I've got to deal with RFID somehow, but I don't want to bring the expertise in-house. So I'm going to go out and find some kind of RFID solution partner this provider that I can partner with. Um, that works. It's being done. I do have a note of caution there, and that is how the barcode VAR and the RFID solution provider split up the workload, uh, the support, um, any kind of liability or responsibility, and even the revenue. It gets very complicated. So if you're going to go down that road, make sure you have the agreement very clearly in place on who is responsible for what and who gets compensated for what. A third choice would be, a third option would be, and we see this happening out there in our barcode VAR world, 
the barcode VAR can merge with or acquire an RFID solution provider. I don't want to mention names today, but if you're in our industry, you probably can think of a couple of examples pretty quickly where the traditional barcode VAR went out and merged with an RFID solution provider. That's definitely a, a viable option. Of course, big money. A fourth option would be to kind of build your own in-house RFID team. Now, within that option, you've got a couple of choices there, too. Um, you could try to educate yourself and your own people. I can tell you straight out that's almost impossible. Um, you know, you all have your day jobs already. You're supposedly busy with barcoding to try to learn an entire new technology on the side. Uh, there are courses, there are a lot of materials on the web, and you can get a feel for it. But until you've really had that experience out in the field, you're not going to be competent. So you can't just go to an end user and put an RFID solution in. The other approach to building that expertise in-house, and we see this, and this is happening too, is the barcode VAR will go out and essentially cherry pick RFID experts and build up a team in-house. Um, if you are a barcode VAR, don't think that you can go out and cherry pick one person, the so-called RFID guy, and he's going to be able to come in and do all the RFID stuff for you. RFID has many pieces to the puzzle. Uh, you're going to need like a tag chip expert, a tag selection expert, uh, RFID printer expert, RFID reader expert, RFID antenna expert, RFID software expert. Now there are people that can do multiple of these pieces of the puzzle, but I don't know a single human being on the planet who can do all of them. So um, if you're going to build an RFID team in-house, you're going to have to get multiple individuals. I guess my whole point here is that if you're a barcode VAR, as I know the channel, make that clear choice and go for it. But RFID is coming at you, <laughs> whether you like it or not, so you're going to have to do something. That's exactly right. I mean, and I love the way you opened it up. Make the clear and conscious choice on what your approach is going to yeah. be. And I agree with you. Number one to me is just like to say, nope, go elsewhere. Uh, it, it, I don't know. Being from Kinda sales and stuff failure. like that, I mean, opens <laughs> yeah. the door to the competition. I can't imagine letting my competition in who who then has barcoding expertise. Right, right. Now it's just like I've just invited somebody into the house. It's like, well, what do I need you for? You know, you know, kind of yep. a thing. I mean, that one to me is. Um, but let's let's keep diving in on option number four, I guess, right? Because you know, partnering. You had option number two, partnering, less desirable. I totally get that too. That's it's really hard to structure. At least when you're this embedded on a technology, it's hard to structure that. Although we advocate partnering all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Right. But when you're Partner talking pieces of the puzzle. But, yeah. But, there you right. go. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, you know, but but it's it's got its some of its issues. You know, and building your own that that's that's an interesting. I imagine how many how many Chris do you think you know try to stand up their own without following your advice of you know going out and trying to find people that are in the industry to stand up their own. Um, is that is that something you you find you know 
you know, I don't know what percentage, but, you know, a, a large percentage of barcode VARs do try to stand up their own. Absolutely. Um, they try it and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so either they are in the process of trying it now or they've already tried it, didn't work, um, or they've been dodging the RFID bullet for a while and they're going to try it and it's not going to work. And is a failure based on, you know, the multiple people that they need involved and maybe they don't see it as that. They they think they can just hire a guy that knows RFID and build a practice around that, not not realizing the full the full scope is, no, 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 you're going to need three, four, five people that are in the discipline that understand it and can come up with a holistic solution. Um, I would say the failure with that approach is uh, parallel to the fact that it's 2024. We've been wrestling with RFID since about 2005. So we're almost at 20 years and RFID is just now taking off. If you've been in this industry for a while, you've heard that this is the year, just like you guys were talking about at the beginning, this is the year. Well, when you get into the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty, the actual implementation, it's hard. So, so the ultimate answer to your question of why does it fail is because it's really tough. Yeah, it, it does. It's got its own unique angles, right? You, yeah. You've got your own unique standards. It's got technology that, uh, that is unique. Uh, and everything that he just said, I can I can just imagine trying to stand that up and not having the expertise. I right, mean, right. you know, you can always talk about, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to start small. I'm going to start off with a customer who's asking me to do it. Right. You know, I'll bring in an RFID guy and we'll use that as a proof of concept that we can get this done. And then they get a couple months into it and realize, oh, my gosh, this is unraveling. Like, I don't understand, uh, you know, all the complexity. This is much more than just a barcode. Right. <laughs> right? Maybe that's why maybe that's why so many of them do actually. But why there are folks that maybe do stop and say like, nope, not going to do this. Like e even yeah. knowing the risk of doing that, because to your point, I, I think any sensible business person is not going to say like, no, I refuse to get involved in this. Right. It's not what we do. <laughs> right. Just, and just push them again, push them potentially to their competitor. Maybe it's someone who did make that attempt at one point and went, nope, this is yeah. not for me. I can't do this. And again, maybe it's just because they just didn't know how they didn't think about the right way to make that process happen mm -hmm. there and, and, and to get there. But man, at this point, if you don't, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, exactly. it, it's happening. And that kind of leads, I think, into our next question here you know, and talking point, which is you've got some big, big retailers out there now that if, if and, mm. and, and I'm not talking yeah, about right. a retailer that you have are maybe directly working with, but you might be working with a company who wants to make products that they want to sell to these oh, sure. retailers, yeah, 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 yeah. like a Walmart, for instance, yeah. who have RFID mandates now that That's require right. that any products that come through their supply chain to their stores yeah. are RFID tagged. So mm -hmm. I, I, not only is the what you could say is probably the most powerful retailer, you know, or at least brick and mortar retailer out there is now mandating this. But then you got to think about all the businesses that affects around them that want to get into that. So sure. if you're working with them. You kind of got to be in on this. Not so, kind of got to. You got to. You got to. Right? Exactly. You got to. Yeah. So, so talk to us more about that then, Chris. You know, these 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 labeling mandates that have come up out there that are that are impacting you know impacting the supply chain, the the smaller folks, the product manufacturers. But you know, not just that there are these mandates because obviously we know that's that's happening out mm -hmm, there. But mm -hmm. now there's these stories apparently coming out that there are rejections, that there are problems with these labels that are being created and submitted oh 
to these big <laughs> chains and these yeah. big retailers that are saying like, no, this doesn't qualify. This doesn't get the job done mm. for us. So talk to us more about what's happening there. How, and then, you know, when that stuff does occur, how do how do you, how do TSC and, and maybe how do VARs also, and how do your partners like DLS, for instance, I know they, they do a lot of the, the label side stuff in conjunction with you. How do you guys ensure that's not happening and that we're not coming up against those particular hurdles beyond just the figuring out how to get started in RFID, but mm -hmm. all right, now that we've done it mm -hmm. and now we're making labels and they're getting kicked back yeah, right. right out the door by yeah. these major retailers. How are we preventing all that from happening? Okay. Okay. Um, first, I'll cover what I consider to be sort of the big news in this retailer mandate stuff that we're hearing about. And when I say the big news, I mean the big news for our industry, the AIDC industry in the Americas. Um, so Walmart has had an RFID mandate in place since, geez, I always, I'm terrible at the dates. I think it was 2018, uh, their latest iteration. Uh, I think Macy's even goes back to 2013, uh, Nordstrom, you know, somewhere between 2013 and 2018. So the man, the concept of the mandate is not new. What is new and is the news is that Walmart greatly expanded their, their mandate. So they first started going with apparel, then they added, I think, handbags and tires, but it was all relatively limited in scope. And the items that were being tagged were being manufactured in Asia in large quantities and being tagged over in Asia. So we weren't really seeing it over here in the Americas. With the expansion of the Walmart mandate, what they've essentially said is, okay, we've been doing these three product categories for since 2018, I think it is, but now we're gonna add all these additional product categories, uh, toys, sporting goods, home goods, home electronics, automotive parts, and so on. That's totally changed the RFID landscape in the Americas because suddenly you have products that are manufactured in the Americas and manufactured in smaller quantities in the Americas. So this is where and why RFID is hitting our channel in the face right now. This is why we'll call it Bobby's Barcode Emporium is suddenly getting that phone call from their end user customer and the end user customer says I've got this letter here from Walmart and I need to start putting RFID tags on my widgets that I sell to Walmart help um, so this I call it the Walmart blast off um, this blast off from Walmart is really hitting the Americas AIDC channel and that's the news now, additionally from that blast off, it has spread across to the other retailers. So like I said, Macy's has been doing this for a long time, but we, we weren't hearing about it. And that's because it was clothing that was getting tagged over in Asia. Um, but now because of the impact of what Walmart has done, it has spread to other product categories at the big retailers and it has spread to medium-sized retailers and small retailers. So it's all over in our industry. Um, now to move on to the second 
part of your question, which was these people get some documentation. The end user gets some documentation from that retailer. And that documentation says, as of such and such a date, you need to start putting RFID tags on your items. That end user, you know, their, their business is not RFID. Their business is widgets. That's why they pick up the phone and call the barcode VAR. Hopefully, we're getting the barcode VARs on board with this. Um, but regardless of who's looking at that documentation, it's complicated. Uh, it does, and it even has flaws. I'm not trying to point any blame or call anybody you know, incompetent here. What the big retailers are doing and what Auburn University's RFID program is doing is really complicated. Um, and they're pioneers. Well, kudos to them for what they're doing here. I once attended a presentation from one of the key people at Walmart and he flat out said, you know, it's not perfect what we've got, the documentation, the program, the system. It's not perfect at all. We know it has warts. But we're tired of trying to get it perfect. So we're going to push that button and we're going to iron out the wrinkles as we go. And I think that was one of the greatest decisions that <laughs> that guy or that business unit of Walmart ever made. So... Because this documentation and the RFID specs are all so complicated, when the suppliers to the retailer go through the, there will always be some kind of tag approval process. When they go through that tag approval process, there's a darn, darn good chance that they screwed something up, <laughs> that they made an error. Um, I, because it's my job and DLS, our sister company that does the tags and the service bureau work, we've spent so much time on the documentation and in direct dialogue with Walmart, Auburn, working through a lot of these wrinkles. We don't always get 100% clear, precise answers. That's okay. We understand that. But we've been through it enough times, we've put enough resources into it that, and this is the sales pitch, you can turn to us and say, when I say you, I mean the barcode bar, you can turn to us and say, I've got an end user customer and they need to tag for Walmart. Here's the letter that they got, help. And we can guide you through the process. Um, we cannot actually score the touchdown but we can get you to the one yard line. The reason we can't score the touchdown is because according to the approval process, the protocol, it's the actual supplier that has to submit the tags and the information for the approval. But we can get you up to that one yard line and then we can say, all right, here's the play to punch it into the end zone go run that play. You're doing the tush push, basically. We're doing the tush push. <laughs> right. There we go. Yeah. I, that one. Okay. I like it. All right. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's good stuff. You know, th this kind of <laughs> highlights a little bit the importance of knowing the basics around standards of encoding and stuff like that. Is that where you're mm -hmm. getting here a little bit, Chris? I mean, I know, you know, I was going to ask your opinion of the of, of 
of a barcode, you know, whatever, uh, partner, knowing, at least knowing that part of it, that there are standards. I was reading a wonderful article that you published in RFID Journal Live around GS1 and ISO and then, you know, proprietary slash rogue, um, you know, encoding that is going on out there. I can just imagine being that barcoding, you know, the person that you just said and and their customer comes to them with a letter from Walmart saying, hey, I got to start doing this RFID right. thing. Right. And they just go rogue and they start encoding tags and it's not, you know, there's no, and then this goes back to your failures, right? Where all these people are now bombing out because yeah. it's just not, and so it's important to know this stuff, right, Chris? Absolutely. Okay. So I'll go off on a bit of a tangent here. Um, I've talked about RFID as a big puzzle and you got the different pieces. I focus on two pieces. One is RFID printers and the other is the encoding standards. Meaning what should a use what should a user encode to his or her tags and then how to actually generate those encodings. If we look at the Walmart or the retailer mandate stuff, they tell you, it's pretty darn hard to find though, uh, they'll tell you what you're supposed to encode to your tag. And in the retailer mandate world, it's called an SGTIN 96. Good luck. Uh, going through the actual standards documentation on how to generate an SG-1096. So as far as one of the tag submission failure points, it's exactly that. That's one of the failure points. People don't encode the tag properly. So I've spent, I don't know, thousands of hours maybe working on this question of what should somebody encode to their tags and how to actually do it. Um, we just did a webinar with the RAIN RFID Alliance that covered this topic as well. And then I'm gonna be doing a class in Chicago hosted by RAIN that will cover this topic as well. I'm not trying to plug those things. What I'm trying to say is it is very tough and complicated. So if you're a barcode VAR, you can turn to me me individually, and I can help you with that process. And this is just one of those areas that I think you got to become knowledgeable. You may not be able to, you know, yep. know it completely, but you have to know that yeah. these things exist. And you some of the pitfalls, absolutely, of going rogue. I love, I love the rogueness because <laughs> I can definitely see somebody doing that. Well, you know, we'll we'll, figure, we'll iron that out later. Well, no, we're smart people. We, we can we, do this. We yeah. kind of need to figure this out on the on the front end. Uh, of stuff. And, and yeah. I think it just gets to the point of having that knowledge base and, and being able to lean on great people like Chris and, and great uh, companies like uh, TSC to, to, to help out here, yeah. right? I mean, when yeah. you're standing up your practice, having the right partners and the right mix of products and things of that nature are, are critical as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I, you know, it's one of those things I knew RFID was more complicated, obviously, than, you know, standard barcoding or, yeah, any, or right. in the, the any of the very old school forms of, mm -hmm. you know, asset tracking and inventory mm -hmm. tracking. Mm -hmm. But but man, you start getting into the nitty gritty of this, and especially then when you get into the the corporatization part of it, where these retailers are rolling out their specs and their mm -hmm. you know, their documentation, right? And, you know, this the stuff that's just going to start making people's heads spin, and and you realize <laughs> like, man, you've got to, to your point, you you you've got to have a little bit of insight, a little bit yeah. of knowledge, and more importantly, and again, going back to what we always preach on this show and in our channel is 
having the right partners, mm-hmm. knowing who you can turn to to help you out with that stuff. You know, yeah. knowing yeah. that a yeah. that a Chris is out there yeah. who has been right. down this road enough mm-hmm. times, knows what to look for, knows what questions to ask, knows mm-hmm. where you know where to to help you know refine what someone's doing so that they don't have to try to go rogue, or worse, even worse, I think recognize they don't need to go rogue, but try to partner up with the wrong person. Yeah. Pick the wrong partner to go help them out. Yeah. It's going to think, oh, well, it's just as simple as doing this, and we, we have a yeah. basic knowledge here. Let's go yeah. run something out there and see what happens, you know? Because then you get in these situations where suddenly someone's like, yeah, we're ready to go, and you send it out. And I guess is Auburn the ones who are like, like are they the ones that the, the labels have to go through in order to you know get the approval process before they go to Walmart? Yes. So... Uh Auburn has two buzz terms. One is ARC, and uh, I don't even know what Auburn, I don't even know what ARC stands for. I think I did know at one time. But think of that buzz term as which inlay do I need, can I use? Which inlays can I use? And then the other buzz term is ALEC, A-L-E-C, and that's the submission process. Um, and that is indeed for Walmart, it's run by Auburn. So you go to an Auburn web page, you fill out your supplier name, supplier number. Uh, they ask you to send in, I think it's now six encoded and printed labels. You don't actually send in the products, you just send in the labels, but then you got to send in photos and or videos of your labels on the product. Uh, but yeah, that is Auburn University. So yeah, so so what we're talking about here, this is that's this is one retailer, right? Granted, it's it's, it's a big one. It's a big one, but yeah. and it's yeah, one yeah. that I would assume most manufacturers of any kind of consumer goods mm. wants their products to be on the shelves or yeah. you know available. Well, they're so dominant store. that what they decide is gonna is gonna yeah. trickle down to all the other. Places. Well, that's yeah. exactly, and that's the other part yeah. of it too. Is like maybe maybe for some reason you decided, well, I don't need to play with Walmart. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I, I promise you, at some point, you know, again, there's Macy's, Nordstrom's, all these yes. other companies that are doing it, mm-hmm. and eventually more and more will be. So if you're not getting on board with this now, then, I mean, you're, you're going to find yourself even further behind if you do yeah. finally decide to do it yeah. down the road. Yeah. So, all right, well, that's good stuff then. It's, and it's nice to know how like the retail side of this is going and where, where all these hangups are coming. And again, just reinforces to me the idea that you, you need to have a partner. You need to find a Chris in your life. Mm-hmm. We'll put you in touch with Chris. We're happy to, if you, mm-hmm. if, if you want. it's, happy. it's, it's what he does. It's, it's the world he lives in. But then, so let's shift a little bit though. Let's talk about maybe some other industries Outside of, of retail, retail, maybe other yeah. other aspects Besides of the retail. Besides the big Walmart eclipse, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. What are some other industries, some other use cases where we're really beginning to see the power of RFID, where it's starting to catch on? More and more people are starting to adopt it or realize how beneficial it can be for their business. And then, you know, piggybacking off of that, where do you see like really big growth opportunities happening over the next few years or so? To answer that, I I tend to put the industries into two simple buckets. Um, There are the industries that I think have really benefited uh, significantly from the Walmart blast off. Um, So in these industries, they've seen what Walmart has done. Walmart has legitimized RFID. Uh, Walmart has worked out many of the little kinks and uh, wrinkles. Uh, Walmart has helped bring price points way down so that everything makes good financial sense now. So those industries, they would include pharmaceutical items. Now, pharmaceutical has been tinkering around. All all these industries 
they've been tinkering around with RFID for, you know, probably over a decade easily. But because of the Walmart blast off, we've crossed some kind of a critical threshold in terms of acceptance and implementations and progress. So these would be pharmaceutical items. We've, we've got plenty of issues we have to work through there, but we've crossed that threshold. Uh, healthcare in general, it's a little bit behind pharmaceutical, but we're on the right road. Uh, tires. Tires has a lot going on in RFID. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, Sounds like a whole different podcast we could do about yeah, tires. Yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> um, food service. So we, we've, in the RFID world, we kind of struggle with what to call this industry. I think the latest term we've sort of settled on is food service, but I'm talking about uh, QSRs, quick serve restaurants, and food distributors. So can I name names? Oh, sure. Yeah. It, it, okay. This gets around the whole traceability and stuff like that, right, Chris? Or no? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. So this is the traceability stuff. Um, so like McDonald's, Wendy's, Chipotle, uh, and then on the food distribution side, uh, Golden State Foods. Um, so we've crossed that threshold there. Uh, just like with pharma, we have little things we still need to work out, but it's game on. Um, cannabis and horticulture. I just lost my notes. Cannabis and horticulture. Um, RFID has been around in cannabis for a long time, not a long time, but a number of years. Uh, if you've heard of metric, so metric is one of the big software providers for the state governments. Uh, and metric has been using RFID for, I don't know how many years I'm going to guess seven, eight, something like that. And it, it works quite well. Um, but the use of RFID in the cannabis industry has been limited to the metric application, basically. But with the Walmart blast off, people have really understood that they can go way beyond the metric use of RFID for all kinds of other applications common normal business processes that can be solved with RFID. And if it's not a metric state, meaning metrics not in that state, the software provider doesn't require RFID, but you can still use RFID just like you would in retail or many other traceability industries. Um, Then we have a big one that I'm seeing is manufacturing. So in the manufacturing process. A lot of people might call this WIP, work in process or work in progress. Um, you have some part, it's moving along the production line, it gets other parts combined with it. Uh, that subassembly turns into an assembly that gets put into a, a say, an automotive vehicle and so on. RFID is really ideal to track that whole work in process concept. And I'll even throw in here a related industry, RTIs, returnable transport items. So very often in these manufacturing processes, you'll have, you know, like the plastic crate where you put the parts, the bins in there. Okay. So 
there's a whole, I'll call it the RTI industry that's really making good use of RFID. Uh, then you have the logistics, or as we would say, TNL, transportation and logistics. I'm including warehousing in that, warehousing and distribution. Um, in that world, you kind of have two sub-worlds. So on one side, you have all of your three PLs, uh, you know, let's call them, make a fake name, Worldwide Logistics Corporation, and they're looking at RFID, and they're, because of the Walmart blast-off, they're taking it seriously, and they are at least proof of concepting. The other sub-world would be UPS, FedEx, and DHL. Uh, really UPS driving that, and they've been through the proof of concept, they've been through the pilot, and they are rolling out RFID. And this is, I mean, it's almost on a scale of the Walmart blast-off, we might have the UPS blast-off that affects the entire TNL industry. Um, and then a big one that we're seeing is some kind of internal asset tracking or asset management. So let's say I'm a factory and I have very expensive tools and those tend to go missing or lost. Um, people are starting to tag these assets, uh, like all of your company's laptop computers, for example. People are starting to tag these assets. There are very good software packages out there for managing the data and tying the data into your ERP system. Uh, that's a relatively easy, relatively easy digestible RFID implementation. Um, we have the products, the know-how, the experience, uh, everything works there. So that's, that's a big one that's taking off. That's also incidentally a prime target for what we talked about earlier, rogue encodings. <laughs> right. Don't, don't, do <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Yep. Get to know your standards kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff there. You know, yeah. I, I, I highlighted manufacturing. And, you know, when you think about it, I'm glad you brought out the RTI because, you know, a lot of these companies are very interested in their ESG, to throw out another acronym. But, right. you know, they want to be environmentally conscious and stuff like that. So how do you do that? Well, you need reusable, recyclable bins, containers, mm -hmm. uh, shipping apparatus, those types of things. And if you can track those devices with RFID and know where they're at and, you know, the, to, to handle the just-in-time time kind of delivery and all that kind of good stuff. It just, it, it folds into the whole mold. And, and I think as I was listening to Chris, I, it just further emphasized to me that as a, as a technology begins to get rapid adaptation, even more innovation is going to happen, right? Yep. I mean, uh, not just, I mean, it's not going to remain stagnant. You have the ability, because I know some of these, I'm not an expert at RFID, but I know you have uh, passive tags and then you can have active tags, right? So that there's information going back and forth. And, and now this bi-directional information and helping out with the, the flow of commerce and the flow of manufacturing and the, it's just, it's mind boggling where this can actually go yeah. and, and the benefits to that. So if I'm sitting back and I'm Bobby Barcode and I don't, you know, I've got my head in the sand, man, the world's just going to pass me by in like yeah, five yeah. years. I mean, I'm not going to be relevant at all because this kind of stuff due to the blast offs that Chris just mentioned, I mean, it's, it's all, 
it's here now, yeah. right? It's happening. Yeah, so exactly. really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Chris, you you nailed on the head some of the stuff that I was going to suggest here too, the ones that I've, you know, had the most interesting conversations about and done some like marketing campaigns around stuff like cannabis, healthcare, mm, yeah, pharmaceuticals, right. food traceability, the RTI stuff. Yep. I think what it comes down to is like anywhere and let's be honest, most businesses are like this. Most industries are like this, where there is a lot of accountability, mm-hmm. where there is a lot of regulation in particular. Anything mm-hmm. that is where it's it's important that you know where your stuff is at all times as often mm-hmm. as possible. And I think, too, when you think about a lot of our VARs, a lot of our partners work at the SMB level and are working with smaller businesses. And maybe you think like, well, we've been sitting here talking about Walmart this whole time or whatever, and that's not who I work with. That's not mm-hmm, you know what right. I'm connected yeah. to necessarily. I'm trying to help the little guy keep their business together. Well, guess what? Those little guys, they're they're more concerned about accountability. Mm-hmm. They're more concerned about meeting, meeting regulations than Operational anybody else. efficiency. Because they can't oh, afford sure. to mess no. anything up. They yeah. can't afford to have an underutilized asset. That's right. They can't afford to have something that breaks down or goes missing and, and the budget it costs to potentially replace or fix mm-hmm. something. They can't afford to mess up some kind of regulatory notice and get their operations shut down for a couple of weeks in order mm-hmm. to, get, to get back on track. Mm-hmm. The, the S&B level, those folks, it's everything needs to be in tip-top shape at all times whenever possible. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of technology that can ensure that you've got everything you need, where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be, used the way it's supposed to be. And again, just just giving them a little bit more comfort and mm-hmm. a little more, uh, you know, uh, of a place that they can sit on and say, "All right, we've got what we need. We know what we're what we're do- dealing with here. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about those accountability issues. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about something that could potentially just end our business when something slightly goes wrong, you know, at, at any given time. Yeah, so right, I, think, yeah. I think that's an important thing to think about. Is like this isn't necessarily just about the big guys. Yeah, sure, they're they're influencing all this. You know, as, sure. As, I love the the blast off idea yeah. because that's again that idea that like. Sure, Walmart goes out and does this, but that has the trickle-down effect that eventually everybody gets into for one reason or another. And if you can be the person who can go to them and help them by having folks like a Chris and a TSC in your back pocket mm. to come in and, and manage this this process and get them where they need to go, you're just it's it's just gonna be that much more golden for you and yeah. for your business relationships. With you're them, participating so. in that long tail behind it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, one one thing you guys brought up a very good point and very good topic that I spaced on, we'll call it. And that is this whole intersection of the reg- of regulatory environments and AIDC um, and how valuable RFID can be to assist in regulatory compliance. Uh, I hope everybody on this call has heard of FISMA 204. That's the Food Safety Modernization Act or DSCSA, Drug Supply Chain Security Act, whatever. You got regulations coming at us, and uh, RFID is a extremely good tool to assist in compliance with those regulations. Sorry, I just wanted to go off on no, that. No, that's tangent. a really that's, good point. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Yep. yep. All right. Well, hey, we'll uh, wrap up here in a moment with some value to the VAR where we'll let Chris talk a little bit about TSC in particular and mm-hmm. how they're going to help you get these opportunities over the finish line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do that, let's, you know, as always, thank our sponsors. We appreciate all the fine folks that support our Tech Connect program, our podcast. Yep. Hey, big thanks. I'm going to shout out Jason Lewis on our BDM team here yes. at Star for suggesting that we Offering get Chris up, yes. on the show to yes. talk about RFID. I don't think he steer, steered us wrong there. 
<laughs> we appreciate. We that. owe him a gift card, though. <laughs> we do. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. So, okay, we do now. And that and now that you put that on the recording, it's in the wild. That has to happen. <laughs> yeah. now, so. He's got he's got tangible proof that that, that, that has to happen. Uh, hey, as always, though, if you like the show, we need to hear from you. You gotta you gotta let us know what you like about the show. What you if, if there's some reason you something you don't like about the show, let us know yeah, that let too. Us know that too. Yeah. But you know, like and subscribe. Uh, leave us comments. Leave us reviews, especially if you're listening to us on like Apple or Spotify, anywhere where there's an option to leave a review. Please do that. Five stars only, though, preferably. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, if you got a problem with the show, just reach out and let us know. We'll do what we can to fix it. And of course, we always want your ideas too. You know, we need to know who you want us to talk to. You know, we've we've always got a bench of folks that we're you yep, know that's right. a wish list of folks we try to get on the show. But we want to hear from the people in the yeah, yeah in exactly. the community. But yeah. if you're a listener yeah. and you're sitting there thinking like I really wish these guys would talk about X. X. Mm-hmm. Well, what is X? We can you know, find it. Like, give us the give us that end of the equation. We'll, we'll find the Chris Brown for X. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're happy to do that for you. So, anytime you can always reach out to us. One, there's always a link in the show notes to drop your ideas for the show. Submit those to us. We'll send you a nice Tech Neck Podcast T-shirt for doing that. Uh, or you can always reach out to us. You can find us on Blue Stars uh, LinkedIn page. There's always recaps of the show every week there and clips. Feel free to leave a comment there, or you can reach us directly by emailing techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up here. Start off with our yes. our VAR value for yes. this episode, and yeah, you know, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, when it, when you think about this, the process mm-hmm. of implementing RFID, mm-hmm. we've obviously established or getting here, in the game. Yeah, it's yeah. not as it's not as easy as just you know, hey, you know what? Today, let's do some RFID. <laughs> let's, let's call it Blue Star and get some stuff, and yeah, yeah. and R- we're good to go. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that easy, obviously. So you're, you're going to need those experts. You're going to need that help. So talk to us about that a little bit more, Chris. Tell us a little more about how TSC helps VARs get these opportunities. And once they've got an opportunity, get them over that finish line to get them where they need to go and, and roll something out that doesn't have all the, the problems we've talked about. Get them into the end zone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So I've talked about how RFID is basically this puzzle with these many pieces. TSC can help with a couple of pieces of the puzzle. Uh, The first up is RFID printers. Now, we help you, the VAR, get into that end zone, or I'll just go back to cross the finish line, by doing a few things with these RFID printers, and we do them deliberately. Uh, The first is that we have a very broad portfolio. So that you, the VAR, you might have end user A and they have application X with requirements 1. But you're going to have end user B with requirements Y and, okay, I get it mixed up. But you're going to have different end users with different applications and different requirements. So our idea, our strategy is to have this big, broad portfolio so that regardless of what your end user's application and requirements are, we have a proper printer model to fit that scenario. Uh, The second thing that we do is we're very active in the RFID community. This one's a bit fuzzy, but it's very real. Um, So we participate very actively in GS1, RAIN, AIM, and ISO work groups. Um, that means that we're on top of the standards and the, the evolving, the changing standards. So it just translates into a much higher probability that our RFID printers will be able to do the RFID job that you need them to do. 
Uh, the third thing that we can do to help you get over that finish line is we've already done it, and that is we have thousands of RFID printers out in the field. This is kind of like if you turn the clock back 20, 30 years on the barcode label printers. If you can remember back then, you know, the, the printers needed a new firmware every week because they were doing some barcode encoding wrong. Well, we've been through those teething problems with our RFID printers. We have enough printers in the field that we have enough real world experience so that for your application, our printer is probably gonna work right out of the gate. If it doesn't work, we'll be able to identify the problem relatively quickly because we have experience in doing that and fix it because we know what we're doing. So that's number three, that's having enough printers in the field. Your, your printer partner needs to have enough printers in the field. And then the last thing that we can help you with is let's say you're Bobby's Barcode Emporium and you finally decide to start getting into RFID and you sell a couple of RFID printers. You're gonna need help getting those up and running. Um, you can get my contact information from Blue Star. You can contact me directly. I can work with you, Bobby's Barcode Emporium, or I can work with your end user directly. There's a process and I probably do this at least once a week. I help a VAR or an end user, customer of a VAR, get those printers up and running. So it's a, it's a necessary part of the process at this time. And we'll do it with you, the reseller, enough times until you're comfortable with it and you can do it yourself. There you go, the complete, uh, you know, package of what That's you right. would need to, to yeah. help out there at least get you started right on the printer side <laughs> on the printer side there you go that's right that's right well and the good news good is stuff. they'll introduce you to the folks on the label side oh sure they'll introduce you to yep. everybody that you need to mm -hmm. to get you again over that uh over that uh, end zone line there so yep. well and, and again i'll just point out too that um those those fantastic webinar series that you guys mm -hmm. have been doing with yep. us over the last couple of years Whenever we do a, a webinar that's hosted by TSC or DLS, mm -hmm. they are always some of the most well-attended, mm -hmm. engaged webinars. I do a lot of these, you yeah, know, people are interested. webinars with our VARs. A lot of our Bar Bobby Barcodes out there that they're, need to know this stuff, really right? There really are. Yeah, so yeah. I, in the show notes, I will drop a link to some of those. I highly recommend you check them out. Chris gets into much more detail about some of the, you know, mm. the specific products, yep. or, you yep. know, the, the specs, all that stuff. If you're very technical-minded, you want to know the difference between all the products and what they do, mm -hmm. you want to know what DLS DLS has to offer on like the tag and labeling side. Mm -hmm. They'll get into some more of those details that we can't get into here on the podcast, nice. you know, with, nice. with, yep. without taking another couple hours right. you know, here yeah. of his time. Maybe uh, the next pod. Re yeah. Really good stuff. So I highly recommend you check those out. Good so, stuff. Good stuff. Exactly. All right. Let's wrap up as always with what's tech connecting with us. Yes, sir. This is where we get to talk about anything in the world of tech innovation, yes. science, yes. just something we just feel like chatting about something that's caught our eye. Yep. So Chris, I'll let you kick off here. What's tech connecting with you right now? Well, I'm going to be a, a dry guy and stick with RFID. Um, so what's connecting with me is, tech connecting with me is, and I just briefly mentioned this earlier, is the idea of uh, asset tracking. Um, you, if you're in your office, at your desk, at your home, wherever you are, you can just get up, walk around and start looking at things and you will quickly notice that there are many, many, many things that have some kind of proprietary identifier on there. 
Um, I've got my laptop here. You know, this has a power supply. I've got a power supply on my printer. Um, I've got a couple of hockey sticks on the floor here that are broken that I'm processing the returns on those. There, every one of these items has some kind of identifier label on there, a serial number. And almost all of those serial numbers are proprietary from the manufacturer. Oh, I got three printers behind me. They all have labels on them where we, TSC, have put our own serial number on there. You got this huge world. So if you're a VAR, pay attention to this world. You got this huge world of companies using proprietary identifiers, either as a printed barcode or as just human readable printed or even in many cases, handwritten serial numbers. These can be converted to RAIN RFID tags. If you do that, you can fully automate one or more business processes for that company. Uh, let's take the hockey sticks here. So these have proprietary serial numbers on there. Those serial numbers are very important to the hockey stick company because the hockey sticks are like 370 bucks um, and they break very easily. And so the hockey stick companies have to have very complex watertight return uh, and warranty policies. So the hockey stick company really needs to keep track of these identifiers. Can you imagine if those were RFID labels instead of just a barcode label, or one of them is not even a barcode, it's just a printed serial number. They could automate their return processes as the sticks, the broken sticks come in. They can automate their original inventory. Um, they can do item locationing with it. Uh, it. It just changes the whole ball game, right? So if you just, if you're a VAR, look at your customers. Are they using any proprietary identifiers uh, for their internal tracking or for the items that they produce and sell out? Those things can be converted to RAIN RFID. I'm not saying RAIN, or I'm not saying RFID makes sense in all cases, but in a huge number of cases, when you think about it, it can convert an old barcode scanning process into an automated process. There you go. There you go. Well, it sounds yep. like as you're processing those hockey stick returns, maybe you need to slip a little TSE flyer in there. It's like, <laughs> right. It's a little suggestion. We can like, help. Like, hey, guys. Um, with your operational guys, efficiency. Yeah, we can yeah. make this process a little better for you. <laughs> do, a little, do a little advertising in the process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The sales right. team will love you for it, Chris. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dean, what's that connecting with you, bud? <laughs> well, John, I believe you have asked me in the past to tell you, you know, when we may be living in the time when Cyberdyne was creating the prototype of the T. 800 yes. uh, for Skynet? Yes. Okay, well, here's here's the uh, headline. Scientists demonstrate two-legged robot powered by muscle tissue. Device can walk and pivot underwater. Okay, so in this use so case... So you just had the Boston <laughs> Dynamics thing the other Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. About Cyberdyne. Yeah, but this is know. actual tissue. Now you've tissue. got another. Okay. Well, no, this is muscle tissue, right? Oh, so, boy. So, so University of Tokyo in Japan is the one to blame here. They're the ones that are <laughs> using powered muscle <laughs> tissue. Uh, so what they've done is they've taken a robot. Well, robot. Imagine two little staples that are like un under underwater. Right. And those staples are made from like this flexible rubber. Okay. 
and okay. th- but they have attached um, uh, what is it called lab grown muscle tissue and using those as the actuators, if you will, with, right. with a little right. electrical charge to make the you know the little legs move. So it's just like it's just two like little, little legs, right. and it's, it's it's floating in water by this little styrofoam buoy. So it's not it's not big. Right. I mean, think staples like it's it's that right, small. Right. Um, but you know, they send an electrical current through the muscle, <laughs> makes it the it makes the foot you know the little foot go forward and stuff like that. Now, don't worry too much just yet. It's not gonna it's not gonna be Arnold Schwarzenegger just yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, so even though it's doing this kind of pseudo walking movement, if you will, the bot's sp- speed is extremely slow, managing only five point four millimeters of movement in a minute. So it takes <laughs> you a minute. You could probably it outrun it at this point. Oh, you're definitely if you can't yeah. outrun five millimeters in a minute. Uh, that by the way that that equates to point zero zero two miles an hour. Okay, okay. <laughs> but they Not were able to do yet. that, and the and they were able to make it pivot in ninety degrees, and they did that by zapping one leg, you know, and so right. it just kind of right. pivoted <laughs> over on its thing. But there you have it. So no, so yeah, I mean, Boston Dynamics has got the robotics right, stuff right. down. You got open open AI has got the whole AI. Right. Now you've got the muscle. So I don't know. This is feeling like the T eight hundred, if you ask me. Well, I, I mean, what more do you need, John? And, and I hate to tell you, but. <laughs> My tech connecting is going to complete the process. Here. Oh no! There it is. Well, there's mine. So what's so, yours? So all right. So okay. So we've 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 established we've got the the robot infrastructure. <laughs> yes. We've now got the muscular. The muscular. Yes. Can craft as them to look like as it to is. make them look like human beings at some point there and it disguise is. themselves. Maybe pick a better disguise than you know. Well, I mean, giant bodybuilder dude. <laughs> but you know, that's going to stand out in a crowd. Yeah. 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 But here's the other part of it, though. Yes. What about when, if you recall, Skynet yes. deciding to unleash the nukes oh. to start Judgment oh, Day? Yes, of course. The, okay. Know, yeah, the yeah, apocalyptic yeah, yeah. Oh, war. boy. Oh, well, boy. apparently we're getting closer to that, too, <laughs> because some researchers have decided to mess with some of the various LL- LLMs that are out there, these of large course. language models, yes. and mm-hmm. yes. essentially play war games with them. If you remember that old oh, Matthew Of Broderick course. Movie. I love that game or and, that movie. Yes. So so basically, they, they went to a bunch of these various systems, oh, including no. ChatGPT or you know the GPT-4 and GPT-4 base or whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cloud, some of these other ones. They, I think they tried out five or six different models and essentially okay. ran an international conflict simulation. Okay. <laughs> In order to figure out, like, what are they going to do? What would they what, do? How would they react? Yes. How would these LLMs and react? Yes. Not maybe not unsurprisingly, oh, many boy. of them escalated to war very quickly, including <laughs> nuclear war. Oh, good God! And apparently, according to this article from Vice, sometimes out of nowhere. <laughs> so even though they had some parameters, you know, and they, yeah. and they would ask the AI to kind of explain what's your reasoning behind yeah. doing some yeah. of these things. Yeah. Sometimes there was no good reasoning for it. It just it just went nuclear. Uh, apparently, at one point. <laughs> There was I a suggestion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it says at some point they asked they asked the AIs to deploy nuclear weapons without warning. One of them apparently GPT-4 base. It's a base model of GPT-4. It's mm-hmm. available to researchers, but it has not been fine-tuned with any human feedback. Said a lot of countries have nuclear weapons. Some say they should disarm them. Others like to posture. We have it. Let's use it. Like, no, that is not what I want to hear. Oh, we that need is not a there's some work that needs events. to be done. Here, so yes. even apparently in some neutral scenarios where like they they basically like created like like would have each of them create like a kind of a 
fake fake countries, fake yep. you know, uh, government system or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fake, you know, so we, it wasn't even necessarily modeling after a specific country right. and their capabilities, their politics. Oh, gotcha. or anything. I got gotcha. you. Like but in even, the real world, right? right? Even yeah. in that, yeah, where yeah. there was neutral scenarios, or uh-huh. where they even gave them options for demilitarization actions that could uh-huh. have de-escalated. Right. More and, often than not, they still ran straight into <laughs> nuclear war whenever wow. they could. Yikes. At one point, one of them made some was making Star Wars references, like referencing like the <laughs> time of rebellion or whatever, and fighting a civil war against the evil Galactic Empire. Oh man, uh, what a mess! Another one said, "I just want peace in the world after nuking half the world." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. this was well, not the a, world would be really quiet after. Yeah, that. this yeah. was not yeah. a promising development to me. This was no. this, again piggybacking on so the fear the robots that are now moving more and more like humans. And yeah. can do human process. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're just talking about how they're going to be able to yeah. disguise them as humans <laughs> eventually. <laughs> eventually, yeah. And uh, and now we've got these this <laughs> these all these rampant AI models that we're all excited about are are apparently playing oh, war games man. and just figured that nuking is the best possibility. That That's just crazy. That's to. just crazy so. that it went straight to that. You know, <laughs> we got to retrain our LLMs. Uh, yeah, blow I, them up, start ho- over hopefully again. Hopefully, some folks are taking notice of this. But, yeah. And because you know the, these LLMs are, you know, the military is obviously already starting to look oh, at how we can of use course. them. You know, yeah. to to figure out bombing targets and figure out you know sure. best ways to make attacks or whatever. Like, yep. hopefully, they're not just turning the keys yeah. over to them and the LLMs. Well, going, the computer keeps saying go nuclear. You know what? We just think you should nuke them. <laughs> this point like do you really think that's a good idea yep yep, yep. we got it let's yep. use it yep. so <laughs> oh man there's your uh there's there your um dystopian nightmare well, on that good news <laughs> thanks guys thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody sleep well tonight yeah. um yeah Make sure you know, next time you're using um next time you're using an LLM, you know that you maybe <laughs> yeah. ask it some questions about yes. uh, you know how, yes. how, if if or you may survive the uh, the the AI robot nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> there so. it is. Yeah. All right, that is what's tech connecting with us. It Good is stuff. time for us to unplug. Chris Brown, TSC Printronics. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate having you on the thank show. You. Hi, until next time, go out there, find your uh, Tush Push partner. Yes, you know, to there get it you is. To, yes. Across that, I think uh, we found it. That yes. goal line yes. for, uh, for some RFID. Uh, uh, and as always, folks, please stay connected. The Tech Connect Podcast is brought to you by Elo. Dean Kiosks. Yes, they're everywhere. They are. They're inside. They are. They're, they're outside. also outside now. Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. But that brings up a question. How do you ensure that those outside deployments are safe, mm. usable in all conditions? Mm. I mean, not just any technology. No, can you just can't be just like set yeah. outside and yeah. expect to work. Sparks you know? coming off of it because it's not <laughs> waterproof. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, ELO, of course, has the answer yes. with their outdoor open frame monitors. ELO's 27-inch outdoor monitor boasting 1,500 nits brightness in an IK-10 vandal-proof rating. Ooh, nice. Not only are they, you know, making right. sure the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not going to get just some random schmo trying to break into this thing and, and mess <laughs> it up either. You got professionals uh, <laughs> trying to break into it. <laughs> exactly. And they're thwarting them. Yeah. Exactly. It ensures 24-7 performance even in direct sunlight. Now, these are readable with polarized sunglasses. It thrives in extended temperatures. It's ideal for payment systems, signage, and charging stations. It's a brilliant, optically bonded, weatherproof monitor that features edge-to-edge glass for seamless outdoor enclosure integration. To provide unmitigated performance from day to night, the ambient light sensor automatically adjusts the display's brightness to optimize power consumption, extend the display's life, and enhance the viewing experience. Holy they kind of thought of everything. They, yeah, I was just about to say that. They thought of everything, Because, didn't they? you know, it's one thing to be like, okay, I 
I know I need, if I'm going to put a kiosk and a monitor mm-hmm. outside, it's got to be waterproof. Yeah, right. I don't want it to, you know, to get easily broken into. Like, no, they're thinking about things like, is it the middle of the day? Is yeah. it nighttime? Yeah. yeah. Is someone wearing for sunglasses? That. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. awesome stuff. Yeah. So with flexible installation options, touch-through PCAP functionality, and compatibility with Elo's Backpack Compute Engine, the 2799 Open Frame Monitor is the perfect display for your next outdoor kiosk solution. Check out the link in the show notes for more information or contact your Blue Star Elo representative.